Real Cuff Radio is about to begin. Everybody loves a hero. I believe there's a hero in all of us. Welcome to Real Cuff Radio. Real courage under fire. And tonight, that's exactly what we have. We've got a, well, first of all, the name of his ministry is called Open Air Outreach. And if you go to openairoutreach.com, you can learn more about him and his ministry. But his name is Jesse Morell. And first of all, I want to say to some of you out there, this may be a little bit harsh. Uh, some of the when you see some of his YouTube videos, but I want you to understand that you know we love the Muslims, we love the homosexuals, we love you know people coming from all different walks of lives, but we love them in Christ, and we don't want to see them die and go to hell, and that is exactly why you will see people like Jesse out there preaching on campuses and stuff like that. And uh, so tonight, Jesse's going to share his testimony with us, and we're going to sit back and listen where he came from. And then, you know, after you're done here, you can go and you can watch some of his YouTube videos that he's put up and, and go to his website and read some of the stuff. But I believe that every Christian should... Even if this is not your calling, I believe you should support callings like this because this is the only thing that is going to reach this kind of generation out there, especially on the college campuses. Because I know I was there, and I remember in 1982 hearing somebody preaching just like Jesse was on the UT campus in Austin. And I remember my professor saying, hey, why don't you go tear her apart? Tear her apart. Because he knew that that's the way my heart was. That's, you know, and, and I listened to her for a while, and I said, I can't say anything to her because what she's preaching is right. And I didn't even really know God. So, Jesse? Yeah, well, thank you for, for having me. I, uh, I wonder if uh, the lady you heard back in the 80s was Sister Cindy Smock. She's uh, uh, been preaching at UT Austin for all these years, and she's still, uh, she's still on the road. Actually, she was just preaching there again, uh, I think, last week or so. And, uh, well, I'll be honest with you, that last name sounds very familiar. Yeah, well, uh, her name used to be Cindy Lassiter, I believe, and she married another campus preacher named Brother Jed. Uh, brother Jed Smock, and so now it's Cindy Smock and Jed Smock, and they they travel the country. And I'm I'm all, I'm I'm sure it must have been her because I don't think there was many other people preaching uh, at UT Austin uh, back in 1982. And uh, they're uh, they're good friends of mine, so thought uh, thought it thought it was encouraging to hear about you, uh, you know, seeing her ministry out there. Uh, back in the 80s, because uh, they're they're still going strong after 30, 40 years of ministry. Well, at least her husband's been doing 40 years of ministry. But yeah, so uh, my name is Jesse Morrell, and uh, I've been well, I've been traveling the country myself now for about 10 years full time. I started um, street ministry, campus ministry about 13 years ago, 
uh, in the streets of Connecticut, which is where I'm from. And I come from a very troubled past. Um, Connecticut is not a very conservative state. Uh, it's just very polluted with drugs and with alcohol, and it's just a very godless state. And so I came from a very broken home. Um, I, I didn't know my father growing up. In fact, my father, he's, you know, a homeless man. And when he's not in prison, he's on the street. He's a drunk. And uh, so I didn't have a father growing up. And But I was a teenager, you know, when I was uh, 13 years old, I started getting involved in drugs and alcohol. I uh, started selling drugs, actually, when I was 14 years old. And by the time I was 15 years old, I was uh, convicted of a, of a felony. I had my neck slit in a knife fight, and uh, I was facing another felony charge. They told me I would be facing five to ten years in prison for that. And so my life was a real wreck by the time I was 15 years old. I was addicted to all sorts of drugs, uh, marijuana and alcohol, obviously, but other things like uh, methamphetamines and PCP and crack cocaine and uh, ecstasy and acid and mushrooms, all of that. And so my life was just being completely destroyed by the devil and completely destroyed and ravaged by sin. And I saw the destruction of sin. And especially when I got my neck slit in a knife fight, it really opened up my eyes to the to the, just the frailty of life and how short life is. You know, the Bible says life is but a vapor that appears for a little time and then it vanishes away. And you know, when you're a teenager, you think, you know, life is, life is long and you're going to live forever and you're invincible. And so that really opened up my eyes to life after death and got my mind on the things of God. And when I was locked up one time, I heard a preacher and I was in my cell, but I wasn't, allowed outside of my cell because I'd been in a fist fight just a few days earlier. And so I heard this preacher in the, in the lobby having a, a meeting, and he was loud enough for me to hear him. And so I heard him, and he shared his testimony about how he used to be an inmate, and he used to, you know, commit crimes, and how he was born again, and the Lord had done a great work in his life, and now he was a new person. And that really caught my attention, and I thought, that's really what I needed. And I got out of my uh, got out of my bed. I was on my top bunk bed to uh, you know see what was going on. And he asked all the inmates. He said, "How many of you believe that when you die, you're going to go to heaven?" So I looked out the little window of my door there at the cell, and he had a he had a pretty large room, uh, maybe about 50 inmates or so, and all, all of them had their hands raised, thinking that they were going to go to heaven when they died. And this preacher, who was very loud and very bold and, you know, very upfront and honest, he said, look at this. You know, here you are in, in, in prison, and you think when you die, you're going to you're gonna go to heaven when you die. And I knew these people. I knew that they were drug addicts. I knew they were drug dealers. I knew that they were, some of them were, you know, gang members, uh, burglars. And, and yet they all thought when they died, they were going to go to heaven. And this was back in 2000. And so he said, that's ignorance. You know, if you break, you know, you, you're living in sin. I mean, you're going, to, you're going to jail, and basically hell is like the jail of the universe. So that's, you know, this type of lifestyle that you're living, this is where it leads. It leads to jail, 
here and then jail hereafter. And so that opened up my eyes. I realized here I was, I always thought I was going to go to heaven because I came, well, from a professing Catholic family. We weren't really practicing Catholic, but we went to Mass, uh, you know, around Christmas time. And I believed in heaven and I believed in hell. I believed in the Bible, but I never read it. Um, you know, I believed in Jesus, but I had no idea who he was. And I was very ignorant, but I, you know, I at least thought that I was a Catholic, so when I die, I'm going to go to heaven. And I realized for the first time in my life, I'm on my way to hell. Here I am. Um, I'm a violent person. I'm a drug dealer. Uh, I mean, I hurt people. I, 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 I steal. Uh, and, and if I were to die, I'm not right with God. So it's like the, the blinders off my eyes were opened as if before I was just so ignorant and so blind and so stupid and so dumb, and now a light bulb went out, went off, my eyes had been opened, and I saw what I had really become. And I was very, very troubled in my conscience, but I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to get saved. I didn't really know. I didn't, I didn't even know what salvation was or that salvation was available. And I continued in my sin, and I tried. I remember after I got released from jail, I tried to just get so drunk and so high that, that this conviction would just leave because I couldn't sin like I used to. I, could, I, I, I couldn't live in sin at ease anymore. It, it troubled me. It, it disturbed me. I was convicted. And I was roasting in this conviction, and no matter how high I got, no matter how drunk I caught, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't get it off me, this conviction. that I mean, my eyes had been opened, and there was no going back. I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't blind my eyes anymore. And I remember looking in myself in the mirror and just seeing how evil I was because of my sin, and I'm drunk, and I'm high, and my eyes are all bloodshot. And I remember thinking to myself, uh, if I were to die, I'm going I'm to go to hell because I'm not serving God. I'm serving the devil. And so I got in more trouble with the law, um, ended up going back to jail, and ended up going to a rehab. And I was facing five to ten years now for this second felony charge. And so my life was, was a real wreck, and I remember praying, God, you know, if you get me out of this, I'll serve you. If you get me out of this, well, I'll, I'll do what you want. But the Lord kept dealing with me, and I came to the point where I said, you know, it doesn't matter. If I have to go to jail for five to ten years, I'm going to serve the Lord in that jail cell. I can't live in sin anymore. I can't live in this darkness anymore. And I, I had made up my mind that no matter what the outcome was, I was going to live for the Lord. But I, I didn't know how. I didn't know anything. Well, I ended up getting transferred to a rehab, and in, in this rehab, I found somebody who had a Bible, and they let me borrow that Bible, and I read it for the first time in my life. And uh, at first, I started, you know, in the Old Testament, because I, I thought that's where you start at the beginning. And uh, some of it was very confusing. I remember reading about, you know, sacrificing the, a dove, that the priest would take a white dove and spill its blood on the altar. And I thought, this is very strange. I've never seen my priests do this. I didn't know that the priests even do this sort of thing. And I thought the, I thought the Levitical priests were Catholic priests. And so, so I'm reading uh, about sacrificing animals, and it's very confusing to me because I, I thought, 
I thought, maybe after we leave church, that's when the priests are doing this, because it seems really strange to me. Well, there was a counselor there at the rehab, and he was a Christian man, even though it wasn't a Christian, counsel, uh, a Christian rehab, but, but he was a Christian man. And he would, he would answer my questions about the Bible. So I told him about this, and he, he explained to me the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament, and how the Old Testament, they had animal sacrifices, but in the New Testament, we have one sacrifice, and that's Christ. And he, he's the Lamb of God that was slain for us, and so we don't have sacrifices anymore. And so he starts ex- expounding on the atonement and explaining how Christ died for my sin and Christ died for me. And I had read the Sermon on the Mount, which is where he told me to read the New Testament. And when Jesus said, love your enemies, that was so revolutionary to my mindset, so contrary to everything I had learned in the world, that I knew it wasn't the teachings of man. I knew it wasn't the ways of man. When he said, love your enemies, I knew that was the truth of God and the will of God and the teaching of God, because it was not like anything I'd ever seen or knew in the world. And I continued to read, and Jesus said, unless a man is born again, he will not see the kingdom of God. Now, I was taught the term born again as a Catholic. I was taught, you need to stay away from born again Christians. They're radicals. You know, they're fanatics, and they're extremists. And so you, you need to stay away from the born again uh, Christians. But here Jesus said, unless a man is born again, he won't see the kingdom of God. And I, I had never been born again. So I was talking to this Christian counselor. And he, he asked me if I'd ever said the sinner's prayer. And I said, the, 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 who, the what prayer? The sinner's prayer? He said, he said yeah, it's a, it's a prayer for, for sinners to uh, be forgiven. I said, I said they, actually, they actually call it that? They call it the sinner's prayer? He said, yeah, that's, that's what it's called. And I said, well, I, if, if anybody needs to say that prayer, I need to say it. Because I'm a sinner. And uh, he told me, well... You know what you do? You, you pray for the Lord to forgive you and to change you. And he explained it to me. He said, "Now I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna pray with you, but you should go to your room and 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 pray and ask God to, you know, to 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 save you." So I went into my room, and with complete repentance and humility and sincerity, I cried out to God for mercy, that He would forgive me of my sins, and that He would save my soul that he would change my life. I didn't just want to escape hell. I wanted to escape sin. I didn't just want to be, uh, you know, free from, from punishment. I wanted to be free from my bondage. And so I wanted the Lord to make me a new person and to be born again. And, and I went down and I prayed. And when I got up, I was a new person. The Lord had so radically changed my heart and so radically had changed my mind. Uh, <laughs> My whole perspective on life, everything was different. My, my demeanor, my, my, my disposition, my internal heart, everything was new. And it, it was noticed by others in the rehab. Uh, in fact, uh, like I said, it wasn't a Christian rehab. Um, and some of the counselors there were not Christians. In fact, most of them were not Christians. But they, they said, something is different about you. You're different. They said, not to offend you, but... When you first came into this rehab, you know, you, well, you seemed like a very dark individual. You seemed very disturbed. They said, we, we, we have some of the music that you wrote, some of the rap lyrics that you wrote. And, I mean, some of it was very disturbed music. They said, but now it's like, it's like your face is glowing. I mean, it's like your eyes are glowing. I mean, you look like a, complete, a completely different person. You're not the same person that first came here. And, I, and they said, what happened to you? 
And I said, I've been born again. I've become a new person. I'm a new man in Christ. And they said, something, something definitely has happened. They could see it. And I haven't been the same since. I mean, that was, uh, that was in the year 2000. It's 2016. So, I mean, I've been serving the Lord for over 15 years. And I got saved when I was 15. So I've been, I've been serving the Lord now uh, for just as long as, as when I wasn't. And so I'm at a, that marker in my life. And so I, I continue just to pursue God and to read the Bible over and over and over again and to pray and to worship and, and to witness. You know, witnessing came naturally to share my testimony with other people about what God had done in my life. And, and I wanted it to happen to everybody. I mean, my friends were, were on drugs and my friends were lost. And, and I knew that this lifestyle that we were living was, was leading to um, the mental hospital or leading to prison or leading to the grave and then, you know, ultimately leading to hell. And so I wanted the Lord to do in their life uh, what he had done in mine. So I started witnessing uh, to my friends and that's where it all started. Eventually I, I heard about street preaching and I thought, is that really what it sounds like? I mean, you know, preaching on the street. And I saw um, some videos of people actually street preaching and so that was what I wanted to do. I felt like the Lord had really stirred up my spirit uh, when I first heard about street preaching, that that was, that was what the Lord was calling me to. And so when I was, uh, let's see, it was in the year 2002, it was when I first went out to the streets and, and did some street preaching. It was in New Haven, uh, Connecticut. And we were, I was witnessing with a, a friend of mine, and we were doing like a survey approach and asking people if they wanted to, you know, take some time to do a survey. And it started with just basic questions, but became more spiritual and Bible-based. And it was a way to witness one-on-one. But that, that day was a very cold, very cold, windy day. And it was in December. And nobody wanted to stop and talk to us. And so my friend said, well, let's just go home. And I said, no, you know, I, we, we came out here to witness. We came out here to, to minister. And that's what I want to do. I don't care that it's cold and Nobody wants to talk to us. We need to do something. And I looked over, and there, there was this crowd of about 50 people. So I wanted to know, where, where's everybody going? Why won't they stop to talk to us? Why is everybody in such a rush? And the thing is, at this park, everyone was trying to catch the bus. And there's this crowd of about 50 people all at the bus stop. And there's a park bench right next to the bus stop that's empty. Nobody's on it. And the thought just crossed my mind that, well, I could stand on that bench and preach to that crowd while they wait for the bus and give them maybe a good five or ten minute sermon. If they don't want to stop and talk to me because they're catching the bus, then I'll just go and preach at the bus stop. So I told my friend I was going to go do that. And he said, well, while you do that, I'll, I'll keep trying the survey approach. He seemed like uh, he was embarrassed. He, was, uh, he didn't want to be involved in it. Uh, but I went over and I'm trembling and I'm shaking and I'm nervous and I'm flipping through my Bible to try and find some good Bible verses to preach uh, while, while they're waiting for the bus, some good passages to preach on. And my friend came back over and he said, well, the Lord sent them out two by two. So I'll pray for you while you preach. So I stood up on that bench and I preached uh, my first open air sermon. I was only uh, 17 years old and uh, people actually, uh, you know, some of them actually turned to listen and, I was able to give a nice short message while they waited for the bus. And, and my friend got so excited 
that he ended up sharing open air for the first time uh, that time too. And then eventually the bus came and took them all away. And we looked around and there was another bus stop on the other side of the park with a crowd. So we just started going from bus stop to bus stop uh, preaching as everyone was waiting for the bus. And by the time we did a full circle, we come back to where we were started. uh, There'd be a new crowd there. And so we, we could do this all day, every day. So I became uh, addicted to the ministry. I was going out to the streets as often as I could. And uh, sometimes I was out on the streets, you know, five days a week. I worked part time. And then with the rest of my time, I was I was out on the streets as often as I could. I didn't I didn't care for the social scene. I didn't care about hanging out with friends. I just wanted to preach the gospel. That was the only thing I wanted to do. I let I led a team every Saturday to the streets of New Haven for my church. And that was sort of the only social interaction I had with friends was on Saturday when people would join me on the street because the rest of the time uh, everyone was working and at school and uh, I would just be on the streets by myself and uh, preaching to anywhere that I could, mostly these bus stops. Eventually I heard about the nightlife and that there'd be people hanging out in front of the bars and clubs uh, smoking their cigarettes and lots of people on the sidewalk walking around and long lines of people waiting to get in. And so I started preaching in, on the streets at night to these uh, bars and clubs. Of course, I couldn't find anyone to go with me, so I had to go out solo. Uh, but the Lord really blessed it. We saw some grapefruit. Um, the first time I went out, as a matter of fact, I found a big long line of people waiting to get into this club called Gotham. And it was raining. And I stood up to preach, you know, the light has come into the world, and the world loved darkness rather than light. And I just preached the gospel hot and strong. And uh, three people came out of the line, crossed the street, and stood in front of me. And as I kept preaching, they started saying, amen, preacher, amen. And I thought they might have been mocking at first, but I realized they weren't. And after I was done, we, we got talking, and come to find out they were three church kids who had decided to backslide for the night to go out to the bar and club to, you know, party. And they, they said when they, got, when they first got in line, they heard it sounded like a preacher. They said, what, what's that noise? And then they, they saw it was me preaching across the street, and so they came to hear what I was saying. And they came under such conviction of their sin, they, they said to me, they said, after listening to you preach, we're not going in there. And they ended up joining me in my street meeting. And they started singing hymns and singing worship. And there we are at 3 o'clock in the morning in front of this, this bar, this club. And uh, these backsliders had repented, and now they're worshiping and praising God right there on the streets. And so uh, God really blessed that you know, street ministry. And, and then the devil really came against me, too. I started having problems with the police. Uh, first time uh, in, let's see, it was uh, Hartford, Connecticut. And uh, I was out preaching in front of this, uh, well, it was in this uh, public square, it was a, like a downtown brick square, and uh, this satanic businessman went berserk, yelling and screaming and foaming at the mouth and telling me to leave and making satanic symbols and acting like he's going to burn me in the face with his cigarette. And it was the first time I'd ever preached in this, this square before, and the devil wasn't happy that I was there. And... Uh, Eventually, I rebuked him in the name of Jesus, and he left, and then the cops came. And after talking with them for a little while, they basically told me, look, you need to leave. 
And if you preach, you're going to go to jail. And so I told them, well, if, you know, and they had, at this point, actually, as soon as they arrived, they put me in the back of the police car. So I'm sitting in the back of this police car, and they're saying, look, we'll let you go if you promise not to preach. They said, we'll even drive you just to another park. And I said, are, are there any people at that park? They said, not, not really. And they said, I said, well, if you let me go, I'll be preaching again in the next five minutes. And they said, then you're going to go to jail. I said, well, I'd rather go to jail than to forfeit my right of freedom of speech. And I'd rather go to jail than to not preach the gospel. I knew it was a public square and I had every right to do it. And I thought in the back of my mind, I've been to jail before. I went to jail all the time as a sinner for my sin. I can go to jail for the Lord. And so uh, this, I was, uh, let's see, I was 18 years old or 19 years old. I think I was 18 years old. And so he brought me to the jail and uh, I ministered in my cell now. Now I have a jail ministry once again. I'm in jail and I'm ministering to the other inmates there. And uh, the police came to release me, and I asked them if I could have another 30 minutes uh, in the cell to continue ministering to this one man that was really attentive to what I had to say. When I w- finally went to court, the prosecutor, well, he didn't want to uh, prosecute the case at all. Uh, he, he told me that I had every right to be there, and I need to tell the police I have freedom of speech. And I, I told the prosecutor, I, I said, I think you need to tell them that. I, I, I told them that. They didn't listen to me. And uh, so that was, that was the start of uh, really this uh, ministry, this street ministry of mine. And uh, God blessed it with great fruit. But, you know, when, when you're attacking the devil's kingdom, he's going to hit back. And so I've had all sorts of opposition from the police and from, from the church. And, I mean, I've, I've, and just from the world, I've been punched. I've been kicked. I've been spat upon. I've been, you know, knocked out. I've been... Um, you know, just uh, opposed in every way you could imagine. But I've seen great fruit uh, over the years. I've seen homosexuals come to the Lord. I've seen atheists come to the Lord. I've seen drug dealers come to the Lord. Uh, In fact, I'll tell you another story there in New Haven, in Connecticut, preaching at that, that bus stop area that I first started preaching at. And uh, I had collected some of the local... Uh, homeless people that that hung out in the park every day and uh, collected them together for a little street ministry, uh, street meeting, and they were listening to me preach, and I was preaching the gospel hot and strong. And uh, one lady in the crowd, she had, um, you know, tears in her eyes, and she said to me, she said, if what you're saying is true, well, then I'm going to hell. And tears were rolling down her face, and her friends were laughing. And I pointed to her and I said, I said, yes. I said, but you don't have to go to hell. You can be born again. Jesus Christ can save your soul. And I ministered to her the gospel. Well, after that day, I never saw her in the park again, which was very odd because I saw her every day. You know, like I said, I would be there, you know, four or five times a week. And there was, there was always the, the, you know, the locals that were there every time. Well, she wasn't there anymore. So I often wondered what happened to her. Where did she go? Well, about three months later, I'm at the bus stop preaching, and she comes up to me. She said, hey, preacher. She says, you remember me? I said, I do remember you. I said, where have you been? She said, well, remember that day that you preached to us in the park? I said, yeah. She said, well, well, you didn't know this. She says, but 
I was the drug dealer for the park. And, and at that point, it clicked why her friends laughed when uh, she said, if what you're saying is true, I'm going to hell. Because all of her friends knew she was the drug dealer for the park. And that's why they were laughing. I didn't know that. She, but she, said, she said, you didn't know this, but I was the drug dealer for the park. And that night, I had all my drugs and all my money stolen at gunpoint. She said, I thought I was going to die. And I thought I was going to go to hell. I thought, that, that's it. God sent a preacher, and, and I didn't listen. And now I'm, uh, now I'm going to die. Now I'm going to go to hell. He said, but, but he didn't shoot me. He took all my drugs, he took all my money, and he left. And I thought God was giving me one more chance. So I, I called up the man that I was working for. I told him what happened. He said, well, I'll bring you more drugs, and you can you know, keep working. And I, I used that as my excuse to get out. I told him, no, I'm done with this. I'm done with, I'm done with it all. And, uh, and I quit. And she said, I went home to my mother. She said, I was raised in church. My mother goes to church. So I went home to my mother. And, uh, and I've, I've been clean. I've been sober. I've been going to church with her. She said, my life has changed so much that the Department of Child Services wants to give me my children back. Now, I didn't know that. Apparently, the, the DCF had taken her children uh, away, DCS. And so uh, now, because her life had changed so much, she was going to get her children back. So the Lord's been, you know, restoring families. And, of course, now I'm, I'm married. I have uh, uh, three children with a fourth on the way. And if it wasn't for what the Lord had done in my life, I wouldn't have any of the things that I have in my life, all the good things. All, I mean, the Lord is in the business of salvation, and uh, salvation also restores families. It restores relationships because ultimately that's what sin violates is our relationships and so when when the lord brings a man to repentance and a holy life it restores those relationships that we were designed and intended to have it was um it was in 2005 that i first went out full time you know on universities and colleges i i had been uh living in texas uh for a ministry with team mania uh, called the honor academy and I had done a mentorship with the founder, Ron Lewis. It was a program called Fellowship of the Burning Hearts, and it was for public speaking. Uh, Ron took uh, 10 people under his wing for uh, public speaking mentorship. So, so I did a, a mentorship with him for that, and once that was over, I just uh, stepped out in faith into full-time ministry. And at that point, I had been doing street ministry for quite a few years, as faithfully and as actively as I could. I worked part-time, and then with my other part-time, I would be out on the streets. But now I felt the Lord really wanted me to go full-time. After much prayer and much fasting, God spoke to my heart that that's what he wanted me to do. That was my calling in life. And so I bought a minivan with all the money that I had, and a local church donated a mattress that I put in the back of that minivan. And I was 20 years old, and I had uh, two friends who wanted to travel with me, and they were in their 20s too. And so the three of us traveled the whole country living in the back of this minivan, preaching the gospel all over the country. We mostly focused on universities and colleges. We went um, Oklahoma and Arkansas and New York and, I mean, just all over the country. And so we just lived in the back of this minivan, and we, we slept at Walmart at night. If we had nowhere to stay, no host home, we would just park at Walmart. Uh, we'd... We'd eat 25-cent donuts for breakfast. We had a little camping cooking gear. We'd 
we'd cook some uh some hot dogs or something in the parking lot for dinner and we'd be out on the campuses during the day preaching and then on the weekends we'd go out friday nights and saturday nights and preach in front of the bars and preach in front of the clubs and minister to people till midnight two or three o'clock in the morning and the lord really blessed it and the second year we we multiplied we ended up getting two minivans and having two teams of people traveling the country uh, eventually you know i got married and the other brothers got married and uh, out of eventually there's five of us out of the five i'm the only one still going uh, full-time and still uh, very active in this ministry um, the lord blessed uh, me i was able to eventually you know when i got married we we had an apartment a little one-room apartment then we then we rented a, a house uh, but eventually we, we ended up getting an rv and for two and a half years my wife and i lived on the road uh, in this rv uh, even before we had the rv we we lived uh, out of our car staying at host homes we had contacts all over the country so we, we spent probably a good three and a half years on the road um, as a family until we started having uh, until our kids started growing a little older then we uh, we bought a little uh, house in east texas just to serve as our home base and uh, now i travel from from here and so it's been it's been over 10 years of full-time ministry and the lord's uh taken like all over the country this just in the past few months uh, i've been to um, arizona uh, california uh, missouri montana um, even up to alaska um, just in the past couple months and so the lord's continued to to take me all over the country and uh, i've been praying uh, for more opportunities internationally and now some opportunities with ywam over in the philippines have been opening up they want me to come and teach for two weeks it's going to be a good 30 hours of teaching and so uh, that'll probably be in august and so uh, that's uh, that's just a bit about me and my testimony and my ministry and um yeah so uh, do you have all uh, right maybe any specific questions about what I do? Well, I know my wife had some. I was just sitting here thinking. Um, I'm not sure if... Why do you think that... Oh, I know what it was. This was the question. What is one of the episodes that, or one of the um, outreaches that you've gone to out of all the campuses you've been to which is the one that stands out the most to you and why well that's hard to say um, you know I, I like this I like the outreaches where where there's repentance and, and salvations and those are the ones that that stick out to me the most and you know and I see that well, on, what on was a, your favorite one well I I really do like the story I just shared about this inner-city drug dealer who she got saved and the Lord was restoring her family I think that's my favorite story of all okay um, but I, I have a, quite a few more I was out preaching in the streets of Dallas in downtown near the um the west end where there's all the buses and the train station 
And uh, I was preaching and nobody really seemed to pay any attention. Everyone was walking by, nobody cared. So I knew I needed to maybe uh, stir it up a little and push some of the buttons. And I saw a group of, uh, you know, young inner city kids, about 10 of them walking by, uh, hats on backwards and saggy pants. And so I thought, well, I'm going to start preaching about gangster rap music and that'll probably get their attention. And so I started, I started preaching, I started preaching against gangster rap music and rebuking it because that's the music I used to listen to. And you know, what you put into your mind influences your life. It influences your attitudes. It influences your emotions. It just influences your perspective on life. And, and uh, that music, you know, had, had done great damage in my thinking and in my heart. So I rebuked it hot and strong and so these 10 guys all stopped to, you know, engage me. And, and uh, first they were angry, which, which is what I expected. And they started cussing at me and threatening me with violence. And then they were going to hit me and punch me. And, but I explained to them, look, you know, these gangster rappers are just trying to sell their CDs. And they don't care if, if you uh, go to prison or they don't care if you die in a drive-by. They don't care. They just want your money. I said, I don't want your money. I'm telling you the truth because I care about your soul. And they went from wanting to punch me to every one of them wanted to shake my hand and say, thank you, preacher. Thank you. And uh, so I saw some, some good fruit there where, you know, they literally went from wanting to punch me in the face and threatening to be violent to every one of them coming up one by one, shaking me uh, in the hand before they left. But the real fruit was a man who I didn't even notice had apparently been watching the whole thing. And he came up to me and he had tears in his eyes. And he said, preacher, he said, I, I watched the whole thing. And he rolled up his sleeve and he showed me a tattoo he had down his forearm. And the tattoo said Lucifer. And he looked at me with tears in his eyes and he said, I did it when I was angry and I'm sorry. And he asked, can the Lord forgive him? And I got to minister to him uh, the good news of Christ and the forgiveness of sin. And uh, I ended up praying with him, giving him a Bible. And he stood up on the same little wall that I had been preaching on. And he turned to everybody and he says, says, I can't explain it. I don't know what happened, but I'm a new man. I'm a new person. I, 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 I can't explain it. I don't know what to tell you, but Jesus has made me new. And so, so right there you saw him from... Uh, humility and brokenness to repentance to restoration to witnessing all all in one shot and so that was uh, that was a very encouraging uh, outreach and um, I, you I know just have... the other thing too is that, that Jesse unless you were there how would he have heard yeah I mean there's I mean a guy with Lucifer down his arms is probably not going to be in church. That's right. He might, but he probably wouldn't be. So the only way he was going to hear, and I was just listening to you and you were saying, nobody was listening until you ruffled them up. Why do you think that's so? Why do you think that people just walk by and don't listen? I think we've become a very gospel-hardened culture. You know, Christmas is a national holiday, and the fact is most people know about the crucifixion of Christ or the death, burial, and resurrection. Easter is a national holiday. 
And I, I preached for about three years without really drawing a crowd. That's why I preached at the bus stops because it was a captive audience. You know, they couldn't go anywhere. Uh, but I couldn't, I couldn't just draw a crowd. I had to find a crowd. And I preached for three <laughs> years without really getting anyone's attention because most people, they don't care. You can, you can stand up to preach the gospel and they'll just walk right by unless you get real personal and pointy with them and, you know, call out their sin in, in bold terms and without compromise, uh, they're not going to pay attention. And so I'm very strategic in the way that I preach now. Um, you know, I, I draw crowds everywhere I go. Um, on some campuses, I've had, you know, massive crowds of 500 people or more. And one campus in particular, they had to cancel classes because the crowd was, was so big and students weren't going to class. So the, the, the university had to cancel some of their classes because, you know, professors were showing up and nobody was there. And uh, it's, but, but it's, it doesn't happen by accident. You know, you, in, order to, in order to get their attention and to get their interest, considering that we're such a gospel-hardened culture, uh, you know, a street preacher needs to be a bit intense, even a little bit over the top. Uh, a bit, you know, theatrical and enthusiastic and passionate and confrontational. And I think that's, that's what we see with the prophets in the Bible. They were a bit outlandish. And the uh, apostles in the book of Acts uh, were certainly very pointy, calling out the sins, uh, confronting those who had crucified Christ. Or Stephen said, you were stiff-necked in your hearts and ears and you know, uh, uncircumcised in your heart and ears, or even John the Baptist, who was calling out Herod's adultery. You know, it was very, very personal, very pointy, very direct. And I think that's the type of preaching that our society needs. We're, we're in a crisis hour. We're losing a culture, we're losing a whole generation, and people just don't care about God. And so I think uh, in this crisis hour, we, you know, take some uh, little emergency measures. And uh, I think really... you're definitely right on uh, the generation. And you have to take a look at from generation to generation. I mean, I don't know the exact percentages, but if the parents aren't going to church, then what is the percentage of their children going to church? That's right. And so they've said that there's been a decline for a, for a while. So, yeah, drastic measures. That's right. I can see your yeah. point there that uh, they're not hearing. And um, so, yeah. therefore, you're, you're strategically saying the only way that they're going to hear and listen to me is if I get their attention, and I've got to get their attention. So sometimes it takes a little bit of ruffling their feathers, things that they don't want to hear to, to listen. So, good point. Good point. Yeah, well, my, I like my minute... what, uh, I was just going to say, there was uh, a minister that we listened to a couple weeks ago, and he said the type of ministry that they do, maybe people wouldn't approve of it. But he said, hey, don't knock it. We're up here doing something. What are you doing? Right. And that would be the same thing here. You, you might not exactly agree, but 
you're out there doing something. And I, from what you're telling me right now, that's, that's wonderful fruit. Even if yep. it is coming across first, it's getting people to repent. Yes. You know? So. Oh, yeah. When I, I have, I have lots. That. That's right. I have lots of critics who will come up and I'll be preaching on a campus and maybe after only preaching for 20 minutes, someone will come up and say, well, how many got saved? I think, well, look, I just got started. It's only been 20 minutes. Now, now, 20 minutes might pass for a sermon in church, but out on the streets, it's not very long. You know, I'll, I'll be on a campus preaching for four or five hours. And uh, a four lot of the work... Four or five hours? Yeah, on average, wow. about... Yeah, four, the, the longest I ever preached by myself in the open air was seven and a half hours. That's a, that's a long sermon. I've only did that once, and my body hurt from it. But on average about you know anywhere from three to five hours in the open air and that's what people will see in the videos when you're doing four to five hours is it because you're having to walk them through even uh your point and how to get safe i mean what is taking oh yeah 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 well we cover all the bases uh but the first hour is just warming up you know with drawing a crowd and getting their interest and their attention the the first the drawing you know the first hour is still part of the drawing the crowd phase um there's uh well to be specific there's actually five different stages of a crowd but it it takes a while especially you know when you're 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 talking to you're not talking to a church crowd. You're talking to an unbelieving crowd of, of atheists. And so you might need to start with Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God. And you have to walk them all the way through it, you know, from Genesis to, yeah. to, to Revelation and to go through the Gospels. I mean, the, you know, it, it takes time. Uh, a lot of evangelism today has been microwaved evangelism, a fast food drive through evangelism. You know, the Crusades will have a 30-minute a, a message, a 45-minute message to mostly church crowds and, and then give an altar call. And when, you know, the Bible compares soul winning to farming, you've got to plow the field. You've got to break up the fallow ground, the Bible says. And then you've got to plant the seed and then water the seed. And in time, God gives the increase. And so most of the time I'm out there preaching I'm plowing the field. I'm planting the seed. Someone, will, like I was saying, someone will come up to me after only 20 minutes of preaching and say, well, well how many got saved? Where's the fruit? I say, well, well, the past 20 minutes, I've just been plowing the field. This field is stony because, because all you local Christians aren't out here preaching like you ought to. You're not out here witnessing like you ought to. Maybe if you guys have been plowing the field before I got here, we'd be having a harvest right now. But because because most, most people are neglecting their local fields, uh, i got to start in the plowing phase, breaking up the fallow yeah. ground. Yeah. Or what about living the way and being an example in front of them so that they're yeah. paying attention? Yeah. Yeah. Wow, good point. Plowing the field, stony ground. This is That's good. Right. But, good. And the people we deal with, like you said, they're not, they're not church people, and they're not interested in going to church, a lot of them wouldn't even listen to Christian radio, but they will gather around and listen to an open-air preacher for hours if he's engaging, if he's direct, if he's, you know, confrontational. They'll gather around and listen for hours. When I preached seven and a half hours, that was at Texas uh, State um, or in San Marcos, 
And when I left, after seven and a half hours of preaching, there was still a crowd of at least 50 people. And they didn't want me to leave. And I hate leaving a captive audience because that's what it's all about, you know, preaching to people. And I hate leaving a captive yeah. audience. But after, after seven and a half hours, I told them, look, guys, I'm done. I'm, I need to leave. My back was hurting. My kidneys were hurting. My lungs were hurting. Uh, I, was, I, was, I, was, I was wiped out. You know, in open air preaching, it's not just physically either. It's, it's physically straining. It's mentally straining. It's emotionally straining. And it's spiritually straining. And so yeah. it's, a, it's a real workout. But, but I had to leave. And they didn't want me to. But, you know, I came back the next day anyways. And so the crowd I'm dealing with won't go to church. They won't go to a crusade. They won't listen to Christian radio. Uh, if we're going to reach them, you know, we have to actually go to them. And that's what the Great Commission Amen. is. Go, in, go into one. all the world. Go to them. Yeah. Not invite them to come to us, but for us to go to them. Yeah. Good point. Do you happen Amen. to have uh, your um, prayer backing before you? Do you make contact with people and, and get them on a list to be praying for you where you're specifically going? When you're going yeah, to be well, there especially now forth. with especially now with social media, I post on my Facebook about where I'm going, and I, I make prayer requests, and people uh, know exactly where I'm going, and they tell me that they're praying for me, and so uh, I use I use social media for that. I, I have a prayer meeting at my house when I'm not traveling, uh, usually on Friday nights, and we would pray over the different ministries and different street preachers, um, but I. When I'm traveling, I, I make prayer requests on my, my Facebook page, and that makes all the difference. Um, actually, yes, I'll, I'll tell you a little testimony. Um, we were praying at my house during our prayer meeting, and it was just put on my heart to pray for the pornography industry, which I had never done before. And so I prayed for the pornography industry, and I felt not just, not just the porn you know, stars and the actresses and whatnot, but, but the producers, like the the minister, the, the, um, the industry leaders. And so I, we prayed for God to move and for conviction and for repentance. And I thought maybe God, you know, just sovereignly and supernaturally and independently, uh, the Holy Spirit would just start hovering over Hollywood and convicting them. But, uh, but two weeks later, I found out that the porn industry was going to have their national convention in Dallas. And I thought, wow, well, maybe that's an answer to prayer. Maybe, you know, God's bringing them here. I can go and preach to them. And they said in the news that, that the leaders of the industry were going to be at this national porn convention. Uh, the, not, like I said, not just the porn stars, but the producers and just the leaders of the industry. Uh, and so they said all the, big, all the big names are going to be there. So we go out there. I had, I had a good team of brethren join me. And I expected just to preach on the street out in front, but uh, it was a hot day. It was 100-degree weather, and I had to use the, the restroom, and so I went inside the building that was the convention center, but outside of the actual convention, they, and they have this outer hallway in their building that is open to the public that you don't need a ticket to get into, and that's where you would actually go to buy your ticket to get into the event. It's, it's just an outer hallway of their convention center. And I started thinking, you know, well, since this outer hallway is open to the public and this convention center is a city owned 
convention center, we might be able to get inside this, uh, this hallway to witness because that's where all the people were walking around, buying their tickets, getting in line to get inside this porn convention. So I, I said this to a friend, and he said, well, let me ask the police. Now, the city didn't like the convention. The mayor tried to stop them from coming, but legally could not because it's a city-owned convention center. And uh, even now, uh, the city is still trying to fight them and stop them from coming back next year. And so when my friend talked to the police, the police said, oh, yeah, you, can, you, you guys can come inside. And we had big banners and signs. And they said, yep, you can bring your signs, you can bring your banners, uh, and you can even preach on your soapbox so long as you don't have an amplifier, so long as, so long as it's not with, an, with a bullhorn or an amplifier. So we literally set up right at the front gate where everyone had to go in and out, where everyone had to buy their tickets and even the, the porn stars and, and everybody had to go in and out at the front gate. We set up with all of our signs and all of our banners, set up our soapbox, and we preached for three days inside. And it was air conditions, which was better than outside, which was 100 degrees. And so we just took that as a, as a great answer to prayer, thinking, you know, we had just prayed a few weeks ago for God to move amongst the porn industry. And now here I am almost inside their convention preaching to them. And uh, then the porn stars were coming out and engaging with us over the past three days. And two of them took their picture like a uh, posing in front of us. And we had our signs and banners and they took a picture and they shared it uh, with all their followers online. And it went viral on this website called Reddit, which is, I guess is like a, a discussion website where people share pictures and whatnot and dis discuss it. Um, and it went viral with uh, 2 million views in two days. And what, what I was excited about was in that picture, you see one of our signs that says, uh, uh, fear God and keep his commandments. Uh, one of the t-shirts that says, uh, um, fear God and give glory to him, which is the everlasting gospel, the Bible says. Uh, one uh, the soapbox has a message on it that said he is risen, which is the, you know, the, the good news of the resurrection. And so all of these gospel messages were in that picture that they shared with their followers that had 2 million views in two days. And so, so I took that as a major answer to prayer that here we were just at my house in my living room praying for God to move amongst the porn industry and now a couple weeks later, the, all, the, all the major leaders of the industry are, are in Dallas, and we're inside their building preaching to them as they go in and out. And, and then they share pictures of us with our message to millions of their followers. So that was just uh, – that just goes to show, you know, the, the power in prayer. And, you know, God – I just posted on my Facebook the other day, um, prayerlessness limits – what God does in your life. Uh, John Wesley said, God does nothing but by prayer. It's as if God yeah. is just waiting for us to pray. And then as soon as we pray, he moves in a mighty way. And I know people, people were praying for me before I came to the Lord. And now I've come to the Lord and I see it all the time where I'm praying for somebody. And then suddenly, you know, it's very obvious God is dealing with them and they're becoming awakened to the things of God and things are going on in their life that you could see God is drawing them onto himself and so uh there's great great power in prayer and it's a it's the greatest tragedy for us to neglect it 
Definitely. Hey, I have one uh, one more question, at least for now, that I think maybe I better bring up. If uh, somebody's listening and they want to help further the kingdom, further the gospel through this type of ministry, how might they donate to you? Well, through our website, openairoutreach.com, we have a support us page. And, you know, we're missionaries and we live by faith. Um, we don't know where all of our support is going to come from every month, but, but God's faithful and he provides uh, somehow, you know, he puts it on people's hearts to give and, and, uh, and, you know, he, he takes care of us. And so uh, we're dependent, you know, on the body of Christ and we have uh, a, a way to support us through our website. Uh, people can either give one, one time or people can actually sign up to be monthly supporters. And okay, of course, also, so perfect. You, you do have that on there. Yeah, yeah, there's two options, either either a one-time gift or, or a monthly support. And, uh, of course, we, we also need, you know, prayer. Prayer, like I said, makes all the difference. We need prayer support. And uh, also, if someone is interested in this type of, of ministry, I, I do conferences and seminars at uh, churches. Uh, if anyone wanted to maybe invite me out to come and do it at their church, I also, more often than not, uh, people will fly me out just just to do some personal witnessing with them. You know, some people want to do this type of ministry. They just want someone to go with them. And so a lot of times a brother will fly me out to spend a week with him uh, just out on the streets and out on the campuses because he wants to learn. And so I, yeah, I make mentorship. myself available for that type of, of, you know, mentorship as well. So yeah, That's great because that's encouraging because, like you said, some people, you just got to get them started. That's right. And uh, maybe they're a little scared. Well, this has been a real treat. I, I am grateful that we got to have you on and hear your testimony and, and really hear the praise reports behind it that people like us wouldn't even know unless we knew you face-to-face and you were telling us. So this is wonderful to hear the, the, the uh, testimonies of others and what's happened. Yeah. And, and, we, and definitely, we definitely want to have you pray over the audience listening too before uh, we let you go. Yes. Yeah, well, let's do that now. Uh, Father, I just thank you for this opportunity to speak and to minister on this show, and I pray for all the listeners now, Lord. Uh, I pray for anyone who might have, uh, you know, tuned into the show and maybe they don't know you, Father. I just pray that you'll deal with them and convict their heart, Lord, and draw them onto you, Lord. Reveal uh, your Son to them that they might find salvation in Christ, Lord. I pray that, that men and women will cry out to you all over the country, uh, for deliverance from their sins and the bondages of the devil, Father. I just pray for a mighty move of God in this country. I pray for an avalanche of conviction to strike the hearts of the people, Lord, until they cry out in agony for uh, deliverance that's found only in you. And I pray for all the believers and all the Christians who have been listening to the show. I pray that they were edified. I pray that they were encouraged. I pray that they'll take up arms in the fight and join in on the war that you have, God, against sin. I pray that the church in America will stop uh, sitting back in its complacency and in its lukewarm laziness and will actually take the gospel to where it belongs, to take the gospel out into the highways and the byways. I pray that through this program that we just had, that street preachers will be raised up, that street witnesses will be raised up, Lord, that missionaries will be raised up, Lord, that the gospel will be taken out into the streets 
maybe not everyone will be a street preacher, but people can at least minister and to witness one-on-one. People can give out Bibles. People can give out gospel tracts. We all need to do something because we're losing our culture. So, Father, I just pray for a mighty move of God throughout our country and throughout the world that the street preacher movement will continue to advance, that will continue to multiply and to, to just rescue souls out of the hands of the devil, Father, that will we'll steal the devil's children from him by the power of the gospel and that will turn America around and to see it turn back to you. So, Father, I just pray that you'll use this program for the glory of God, for the edification of the saints, that you might be exalted and honored and glorified, Lord. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, thank you so much, Jesse. Yeah, well, thank you guys. I uh, really enjoyed being on and uh, pray that you guys uh, have been blessed by it. Definitely. Well, you have a good evening now and uh, until we get to hear more testimonies. Be blessed. Okay. All right. God bless you guys. You too. Bye now. You too. Thank you.